You're listening to episode 68 of the Doss and D Show, and today we have yet another incredible interview, this time featuring the great Paul Satterley. Sats is actually my uncle, so this episode is a special one for me. It was great to sit around over a couple of beers and have a laugh and chat about a range of things from footy to his life-threatening cancer battle. Sats has had a long and illustrious career in football. We talked about his rise as a player, from spending time on the Footscray AFL list to winning a Liston medal in the VFL at Werribee. We talked about the low points too, including being delisted a day before his 21st birthday at Footscray, injuries, and what it's like to be getting physically targeted and beat up week in and week out. Not only was Sats a great player, but he's an extremely successful coach. We talked about his journey that led to coaching at the Melbourne Demons and all the steps along the way. He told us what he believes makes a good coach, balancing relationships and friendships, and of course, the toughest parts of the job like the listing players. But outside of footy, Sats has an even more powerful story to share. In 2017, he was diagnosed with a rare skin cancer that threatened his life. He shared with us the emotional story of going through radiation therapy, the horrific side effects, and the scary thought that he may not survive. But with the challenge brought the most uplifting upsides, including how the team he coached gave him yet another why to fight and the incredible empathy displayed by a co-worker that allowed him to take time to battle the cancer and make a recovery. Now guys, if you haven't hit that subscribe or follow button yet, what are you doing? Hit it right now so you don't miss an episode of the show. We have some exciting plans for the show and we want you all to come along with us for the journey. So please stay tuned for that. But for now, sit back and enjoy our episode with Paul Satterley. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Well, we've locked him down, Doss. We've strapped him to a chair. We finally got him. It's been a, a few weeks coming, but uh, we finally got the great man, haven't oh, it's we? It's good to have him. Introduce him for oh, us. Mate. Well, it's actually my uncle. So we've got <laughs> Uncle Paul, but uh, Paul Sadley. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thank you, gents. Lovely to be here. Have you, uh, great did, Pat. Did you like the tour? Did you enjoy the... Well, you showed me one room, so <laughs> <laughs> you, you, yeah. you haven't, you've undersold the place, I think. Oh, hasn't seen I, the office what yet. What I can <laughs> see, it's very impressive. Well done. Thank oh, you. Thanks. No, we're, we're wrapped to have you here. Can't wait to get into Should it. Should I call him Uncle Paul? Call me Sats. Oh, I, I, call, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, get, I think I've called Paul if I've mucked up at home. We'll go yeah. with Sats. Sats. <laughs> call me Sats. Yeah. Well, mate, we're just pumped to just have a chat with you. And like, I've always looked up to you as growing up. It's been countless times in my life where I've got dad, because I've been too, I was too scared to call as a 12 year old and say, oh, I've got a question about footy. Can you, can you ring <laughs> Sats, I'll say. And uh, Paul's done amazing things for me. He's come down to the footy club growing up, but... We're, I would just want to dive into your life, mate. So right, no mate. footy is a big part of it. So can you just tell us a little bit about your career in football? We've got three hours. Yeah, yeah. Mate. And, 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 <laughs> well, and, and we will say this. We, we don't want to be humble uh, at all. No, uh, no, no, no. No humility, Very, please. No, no, no. Um, so I'm a Westie. Westie grew up in the West, played um, just junior footy out for Altona and for Williamstown. And then probably my first real crack at probably a high level came about, uh, got invited to the Footscray under-19s when they still existed, that competition. Subsequently played the very last year of the under-19 comp before it became what's now the NAB Cup and the under-18 competition. So I played um, one year as a 16-year-old with the Bulldogs. And on the back of that year, it was because they disbanded the under-19 competition, 
all clubs with an under-19 team were allowed to uh, list, it was like four players, I think, from the 19s, just put them straight onto the senior list on, on the end of the year. So I was, I was really fortunate I was one of those players, along with, like, you'd know Rowan Smith, who played yeah. a lot of, you know, 300 gamer, probably did a little bit better than myself. Yeah. <laughs> John, John oh, no, he came a bit later. But, um, but I was just one of four. And then so my first year at the Doggies is a bit weird because I went from playing under-19s to then becoming a listed Bulldog player, but I was still able to play under 18s because I was young. Yeah, okay. So I was able to play for the Western Jets in their, in the very oh, first yeah. year of the competition. And then at the end of that first year, the club came to me and said, they're going to delist me, but redraft me. And at the time, I was like, God, what? Like, I just, it was just because the rule, and they still do it these days. Yeah. I think you see they clubs have to delist. It's just it's how like they, yesterday. it's really odd. Yeah. Um, for the rookie list. For the bit. rookie yeah, list. Yeah. But this was for the senior list. So I got... Um, so the March draft back in the day, and, and what it probably did was it served me well because I got like all of this attention that I've been drafted when I was really already on the list. And so mm. I got this unnecessary sort of attention for being redrafted essentially. Yep. But I spent, look, I spent three years at the Bulldogs and, you know, didn't eventuate to any senior footy, unfortunately. I mean, at the time I was there when Rovers were in vogue. You know, I was up against Liberatore and Colin Uke and Brian Royal yeah. and Scott West was coming through at the same time. So there was this, Luke Beveridge was there. There was this abundance of these quality little blokes. Literally, I would have been like the eighth or ninth in line, you know, yeah. you know, to the throne. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a long way down the, down the bottom of the barrel. Who was the senior coach there? Uh, well, I started with Terry Wheeler. Okay. So, but the big, the big, the person who was the big, had the influence on me was Terry Wallace, who was the reserves yeah. coach. And, you know, and he was fantastic. Like, and I still, you know, sort of leverage and reference him a lot in my yeah. own coaching this day. But Terry Wheeler was the coach for my, I think, definitely the first year. And then he got sacked halfway into the second year. And then Alan Joyce, who was this successful Hawthorne Premiership coach, yep. came in to try and save the joint. But we knew he wasn't going to work out because the very first time he got introduced to us, he, do you remember Scott Wind? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Brownlow uh, medalist. So, yeah, Brownlow <laughs> medalist. Thank you. So. Alan and Alan Joyce got I mean, up. I'm in my element here, I must say. I'm listening to <laughs> so, so the brand new coach to the club gets up and says something to the, I can't remember the first name he said, but, you know, I can't wait to work with you and the leadership group and the captain, you know, St uh, Steve Wine. <laughs> <laughs> we just thought, oh, geez, this ain't a great start. Is it? Um, so, and then really fortunate, my very last game of the Bulldogs Reserves was a premiership. So we won the flag in 94. And then at the end of 94, they delisted about 15 players, like just mass exodus really? of players. But I wasn't one of them. I actually was asked to come and go into my fourth year. And so I did the whole preseason. And then with a the view that I'm, go, I'm going, going to go into my fourth year of you know trying to have a crack at senior league footy, footy yeah. league yeah. footy sadly for me north melbourne had sacked jose ramiro oh. um, <laughs> who, who was a very good little player and the club needed to make so on my 21st but the day before my 21st birthday oh. I, I basically got told that i'm going to be delisted to oh, make way for jose yeah. And I'll always be really upfront when I talk about my footy because whilst I did spend time at, at the Bulldogs and he said, oh, geez, you know, you know, to add to that, I was number, started as number 54. Then I loved Johnny Platten, the little yep, rover, yep. Brownlow medalist. He was number 44. So I requested number 44 and I, and I was given it in my second year. But then this, this just shows how much respect I had around the joint. Then they recruited this Richard Osborne, yep. who was this gun Fitzroy 
you know, 250 Yamer, and he wore number 44 at Fitzroy, so I got told <laughs> pick a new, I don't know if they called me a chump or a champ or <laughs> turbo, but I, I got the told, I'm, like, yeah, I'm sure they chanted me, they said, you need to pick a new number, mate, so I ended up with number 13. Um, oh. Well, I don't know, if it, was, it, was, it was the only number up to about number 25 that no one had ever played 100 games in at the time, <laughs> and then Gia, G and Syracuse yeah. made it his own down the track, but yes, yeah, so I wasn't thought of really highly yeah. but then i spoke then i left the dogs and then i had six years at Werribee footy club and, and uh, loved it quite successful there as well well early doors you know yeah. like like i actually look back at my time Werribee. it was just t- like i i was smashed with injuries yeah. and so in six years what let's say there's 120 games up for grabs i, I only played 80 so you know i i missed a lot yeah, through, wow. yeah. through injury i broke my back one year and that i broke my back in the in my third year at the club and then so in the next three years i played maybe you know i scratched out about 20 games like i just couldn't get on the park consistently so yeah and And you did win a jj listing medal yeah well they they used to hand them out in (laughs) i I always say they hand them out in cornflake packets if if you're lucky enough to get one no but that yeah that was that was awesome to win I, i probably at the time didn't realize but you know people when they do associate it to, to be, you know, like it's a, it's a yeah. really, uh, it's a great award to get. And yeah. I probably, you know, appreciate the fact that I want it more now than at the time, you know. Yeah, where does the, that live? Where does that live currently? Um, It's in, Jesus. <laughs> in a cornflake box. I won't say where it was in. So many years ago, it got put into like a behind a glass thing with the jump yeah, rod yeah, that yeah. year. And it looks great. That's what I, I would have thought. I just thought. don't know where that is. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. That, that's where I'd say. Yeah. Um, Frosty Miller is actually my second cousin. Oh, there you go. Yeah, the fro- the, the goal kicking yeah, legend. Yeah. So the JJ and then the Frosty. Yeah. Um, what about, so you've obviously been coaching a long time as yeah. well. Still involved in coaching. Yep. So, But you actually went back to Werribee and coached there as well. I did. Yeah, I did um, eventually. So I, I sort of before, my pathway to Werribee is, a, is the coaching way. was. So when I left Werribee, I still wanted to keep playing. So I went to Hopper's Crossing mm. and I spent, geez, I was there for five years and loved it so there's about 10 of us from Werribee so I literally went with a lot of my teammates who I loved at the time we all went to Hoppers we won a couple of premierships there when I went first went to Hoppers they made me an assistant coach so I was playing an assistant it was more just a you know Bit more up, money. The, up the bucks <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a token gesture yeah. and then and then I sort of just grew into it you know I just mm. I took it really seriously that you know, responsibility, be you know, having that coaching tag yeah. with my name, and then it just felt the right time. The coach, the coach, basically said, "Look, you're ready to take the reins." And I took over and became for the first year I was playing coach. So for two years I was trying to get on the field as I was playing. It did come a point in time where I just, I could, my body was just shot. Like yeah. I just couldn't get out, and I was getting belted and getting tagged. Uh, well, well, it's just, no, it's getting built. <laughs> like it's a, pre- it was a pretty tough comp back in the day. And when yeah. you, if you're the coach and you're five foot eight, and I always like to be a little bit mouthy too. Yeah, you got to watch your back a little bit. <laughs> and it just, I just got sick of getting belted. And did you, you know, ever, did you ever cop a few? Like, well, what's the best uh, sled you ever got? Oh no, just oh the, no, actually the best sled. <laughs> I dig a sled. We're playing Albion out at Albion. And look, if you if you if you walk away from the game with your life, that's a win. <laughs> um, if you, if you're, <laughs> but uh, they Albion. used to have like you know a hundred supporters yeah. on the cans all day. And you know the best one I heard was because it's. 
obviously Satterley, but I used to get Slattery all the time, and it was like, you couldn't squash a grape, Slattery. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was being generous at the time. Um, but, but you used to get dish it out no, just as good as Yeah, well. no, I used to give it a lot. I used to love the yeah. banter, but then I didn't enjoy, like I got King hit twice, really? had my oh. nose broken twice, got hit in the throat one day, and I couldn't talk for about three weeks. Jeez. Like it was just brutal. So I, I got together, and probably more, and I had, some tough teammates around me. So I got looked after a lot, yeah. you know, like bloody hell. And, um, they, and they got dealt with those fellas. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was just, you, know, you, could, you could only look after someone so much, you know, but I yeah, just, it just got out of hand. In fact, to a point where we played in a losing grand final against St. Albans one year. And I knew going into that game that I was going to get smashed. And I went into the game with my hand, plastered up like a boxer would because wow. I didn't want to break my hand because I knew I was going to throw a punch. And lo and behold, <laughs> I did. And I got sent off in the grand final for belting a bloke. Is this as assistant coach? Yeah, this was as an Shit. assistant coach. So I got sent off. So, my, But this is my headspace yeah. because I'd been just absolutely you know belted around like mm. I, I remember you know and it was to the point where you know the ball's there and they're not even playing the ball they're just looking to hit me and whack and it, and it wore me down and i didn't enjoy and i actually didn't even enjoy playing in the end mm. but you know the, my psyche was i'm going into the grand final just ready to belt the first bloke that belts me <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know but that's yeah, that's how i was yeah. thinking and mario bagnardo was his name <laughs> and <laughs> i've never but but this is you know and yeah. i I remember playing out at St Albans. The, it was the second game we played, second time we played him that year in the home and away season. And you know, and I left the ground covered in scratches and you know, being pinched all day. And and I just knew if I see this bloke again, that I'm I'm going to hit him. Yeah. And I did, and I hit him, and it did. You know, like Mario, it didn't work out well for either. <laughs> <laughs> but or did someone who won the grand final? Was that the grand they final? won? Oh, they and, won. and they were the best side in it. That was I think it was my first year in the competition because then we yeah it was because we won. Two thousand and two and two thousand and four. So yeah, it was. I look, it was a great time. But then, so I left Hoppers, and I, and I think it was probably on the back of all of that dealing with being belted and just. I just hated the nature of the footy. The footy I was involved in at the time, it was wearing me down. So I wanted to get involved in a competition where knowing players are hell bent on wanting to be the best they can. Yeah. Hardcore commitment. So I landed at the Western back at the Western Jets where it started as an assistant coach to Mark Neal, the future Melbourne yeah, right. coach. And I did that for a full year. What they said to me, because I wanted to be a coach in my own right at the Tech Cup. And they said to me that you've got to do like a three or four year apprenticeship before yeah. you'll even be considered. Yeah. And plus, I was up against school teachers, and they were really high, which they are still to this mm. day, really highly regarded as the perfect sort of background for a coach, yeah. right? So I'm, I had sort of back up against it a little bit. So what I did was, not only did I take the Western Jets job, but I took a gig at Williamstown Footy Club, VFL team, with Brad Gotch as an assistant. So every single night of the week, I was either at the Jets or at Williamstown. Oh, okay. I would always be one, you know, like Western Jets always came first, but yeah. I would double up with Willie. And I was just trying to show them that I want to fast track this. And and generally years. those two clubs are working together. Yeah, they were. They, anyway. were. they were aligned, yeah. correct. And so then fortunately there's a Danny Sexton who's yeah. been at St Kilda for years and years and years. Yeah. He was the Northern Knights coach and he got a job at St Kilda and he's still there to this day, yeah. funnily enough. That created an opportunity at Northern Knights. So I was lucky enough to get that job. Yeah. 
Um, so I went to the Knights and I, I walked into a list that had Cruiser and Cochin, um, Zarakis, Hurley. Wow. It was, it was, we had Jack top. Grimes, Vest Premi. Like, we, like, we ended up yeah. with about six picked in the first 15. Like, it was just wow. an yeah, insane wow. list. So I did it for two years. Tack Cup's very demanding. So combining work and tack cup, just, it just got too much. What um, were you doing for work at the time? I was working at Don Smallgoods, okay. just a, in a sales state sales role. And then because I just couldn't combine the two, Werribee came knocking and said, hey, do you want to come as a development coach? It will work nicely with your work. You can do it as you see fit. You know, it's pretty much you, you do what you can. So I mm. went there and, and did that. And then that flowed into when Simon Atkins, remember Simon Atkins, export. I know the name. Yeah. He played, he was a really good player, or a great player, Western Bulldogs for a good period of time. Yeah. In the nine, he was like a gun in the nine. Yeah. I'm showing my age here now. But, <laughs> but he, he, um, he had been the coach at Werribee for a few years and then he left and then that job opened up, but it was full time. Yeah. And so thought well i'm going to quit this good job at don smallwoods have a crack at it and i got the gig but were all clubs vfl clubs at that stage full-time no no it was a bit of a big deal because was that when they were with north yes north melbourne so and and the reason why it was full-time because you you needed to be really engaged with what north were doing Mm. you know I, i was going into north melbourne every monday sitting in their team meetings and brad scott and because i needed to sort of coached the way they yeah. were coaching at Werribee because so I had half the North players on my side. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you sharing a couple of stories when you went into the Werribee rooms that you told me. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I, I only did it for one year and then when I mentioned the Mark Neild connection, one year after Wer- being at Werribee, he got the job at Melbourne yep. and then he said, come along with me. Um, yeah, that was, so it's, you know, it's people you know. And yeah. So, yeah, I ended up in Melbourne for two years. Uh, that didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Sats might not remember, but we actually crossed paths. I was working at Casey back then. Uh, yeah, at that no, stage, Daniel said, no, yeah, and, then, and um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great time. No. <laughs> well, well, Casey was all right. Yeah, well, we they were, were really competitive. In 2012, we were there because Brett Lovett was the coach. That's right. And my yeah, old I'll man, be... best mate to him. Oh, right there. You and go. um, would be like, well, Brett would say he's the he's my coach. He's the coach's yeah, coach. Yeah. So he was play welfare, my old man. Oh, there you go. And then they're like, oh, waity, come do some stats because yeah. I used to love my footy. <laughs> and we finished top of the ladder. Yeah. In his first year, but then finals came around and they take all the Melbourne players. Yeah, out. no, it was always rough. Look, it happened to me at Werribee. We yeah. we made the prelim that year I was there there and um they they rested blokes on me going into the prelim. You know, like a Magic Door, as an example, was braining them, but they said no, nah, they wanted him to be ready for pre season. Maybe a bit of surgery or something. Yeah. Yeah, clean, little, yeah, out. clean his little finger out. <laughs> yeah, clean um, the little toe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nothing on him was little. Uh, for, for, um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, but we, we digress there a little bit. But um, yeah, so so yeah, ended up in Melbourne and then got the sack and yeah, been in the Vaffa now for yeah, going in nine years now. Yeah. Next year, I want to ask a little bit about. Jeez, I feel like I waffled on a bit. No, 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 that's great. No, we, we love it. it. Sorry, yeah. we love it. Well, I want to ask Sats a little bit about the difference because you talked about being hoppers and you're an assistant coach. Were you then? Coach, coach, captain, coach. Yes. Yeah. So I want to ask about that dynamic of being a captain, coach, yeah. where you're playing with your teammates and you're having to coach them. And is there a change between being a teammate and suddenly telling blokes what to do, mm. and versus then going into a full-time coach with? Yeah. Oh, good question. Yeah. Look at at the time, I was really hardcore. Yeah, you know, and I and I probably have only found out more recent times when I've you know like I have you know you have like reunions and all sorts and I, and I talk to my teammates who I coached 
and they tell me stories about, geez, you could have lightened up a little bit. <laughs> Did you yeah. really have to spray me like that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, one story was one of my teammates I caught up, Robbie Kavke, we, we caught up recently and he was telling me, you know, there was one day we were playing, they were called Set in Yarraville, I think, at the time. And they were like, you know, they were at the bottom of the ladder. We were at the top. Yep. I think everyone knew we were going to win and yep. win comfortably. But I would always be so wound up pre-game, you know, and if I'm talking to the group, if your eyes were wandering, I'd smash you on it. You know, I'd yeah. say, Rob, like, look me in the eye, mate. You know, yeah. whereas fast forward 20 years on, you learn as a coach, some guys need to be staring at the clouds and it's just their personality. Yeah. And they might be listening, but their eyes are somewhere else or some guys like to laugh before a game and some guys yeah. like to be on their own. So, you know, you understand as you go that you've got all these different personalities and it's not one glove fits all, but I didn't know that 20 years ago or yeah. however long, you know. And so I was just this hardcore little dude, little angry little man who, you know, <laughs> this is the way we go about it. Trying um, to make your name for yourself as yeah, a coach too. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know and... and and, but it was hard. But yeah. I, I was like, you know, at the time I felt like, I mean, I was newly married. You know, yeah. I was probably senior, like I was a senior coach at 26, I think. Yeah. Wow. And I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm telling blokes, you know, 30, many years my senior, how they should bloody, you know, what they should be doing and not doing. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I quickly learned that coaching is not just about how you kick the footy on a Saturday. It's It's bloody... You know, you're all right in the world. That's you're what dealing I, with people. You're dealing with people. Yeah. You're dealing with life and yeah. real stuff and yeah. uh, relationships. And in, in answer to your question, it was, yeah, it's tough. It was, I found it really tough coaching yeah. my mates who I was really, like I was really tight with a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, we'd just played in flag together. Yeah. And we'd come, many of us had come from Werribee together. So we would been bonded for, you know, six or seven, eight years in many cases. And I'm telling them. And, and, I, and I, tough. I look back though and I reckon... I remember the first few games, I'd walk out to quarter time huddles and I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, we have to focus on what you're doing as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be sort of like, I just struggled with the whole caper of, you know, I've got to talk to them about what they're, and I'm, I'm still worried about getting, you know, 35 yeah. and kicking four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, he's not, he's not. No, no, no. Just no. the 35. <laughs> yeah. And then so what I did, like an example of what I did was I would say to my support team, as in the coaches yeah. and whatever, I don't care if I do touch it 35 times and kick four. I don't want to vote. I don't want my name in the best players. I, I don't want to be yeah. identified as anyone, but just I'm just doing my bit for the team. Gotcha, yeah. And so that was that was something we put in place. And, you know, and it was also to eliminate a bit of pressure on me as well. Because mm, yeah. if you didn't have your 35 and 4. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, it was an interesting experience. But maybe I'm better for the experience. Yeah. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah. I'd be keen to find out a bit more about your AFL time. So you spent two years in the AFL at the D's through a pretty tumultuous yeah. time, mm. like pretty... Yeah. battling time you would have seen some rough stuff in terms of like just like i just think of the pressure from the media that was on melbourne around those mm. couple of years mm. like and mark neal and I, I still never forget where i was when they got that first win against essendon at the g and yeah I was pissing yeah down i was at family friend's house and i just remember what a big deal it was yeah i can't remember what round it was no it was about round nine yeah and they still had yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 i, I want to know about what it's like i guess if you're happy to talk about like yeah. the delisting of players. Yeah. Like that process. That process. And yeah. like, how does that work and how hard is it and what it's like? And you're dealing, um, like you said, you're dealing with people. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's Look, not just a job. It's, I think probably, you know, it's important to understand, you know, when you're the development coach, 
you're not the one having the, no yeah, yeah. The, the yeah you know those final conversations yeah. i suppose the only involvement i would have is you know we'd have match committee you know in a broader sense with match committee there was you know we had todd vine he was like the list manager you'd have the recruiting team so it was like a yeah, well-rounded. It was a team effort. Yeah, it was a team contribution in terms of the input of how we feel about certain players. And, and, and at the time, everything was always centred around what they called a premiership model. So what does a premiership team look like and what type of players do you need to fill those roles? And of the players within the on the list, who are the guys they think can carry the club forward to fulfil that to get them to the ultimate prize, right? Can it quickly? How yeah. many are in that team that were then? Um, oh, well, that. Well, Jets. Not, Neville Jetta was. Well, Neville Jetta, Nathan Jones, Jonesy. Tom McDonald, Max Gordon, Max Gordon Jack Viney. Yeah. There's about five yeah, okay. that survived. Yeah. Um, that survived. Well, well <laughs> no, that, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Salem, was he there? Nah, nah, nah. Oh, he wasn't there. Nah, nah. It was, just, was it was just those five, I reckon, that are still here, yeah. are still there that from when I was there. But so I think it was, I think the way it's done. In terms of delisting, it's I think for most players, you'd know if the writing's on the wall. You know, one, if you're not playing senior footy. Two, my understanding, thinking back to the time, was I think there were pretty, there was good dialogue between like the footy manager and player managers. And yeah, because I think, you know, they represent the player as well. So they want to know why has my player got a contract? Where do they stand for next year and beyond? That's always ongoing. So I think there's a, it's a bigger picture of, yeah. you know, as opposed to, you know, just the coach, coach going at the end of the year, hey, you're out. Yeah. Um, but they, but you would have end-of-year interviews with the players and it would be a two-way, you know, how do we get better? You know, all, all those sorts of things. Like a typical review at the end yeah. of the year. And then and then those decisions on delistings. Are, are, mm. I reckon, looking back, they're probably formed well Throughout. in advance. You know, yeah. It's like me getting culled as a coach. I, I knew six months out. Really? Yeah. yeah, the club communicated and said, look, we'd already sacked Mark Neal. Neil Craig was the caretaker coach. There's going to be a new coach coming. You know, we think it's probably best that you start preparing for what your life looks like after because, you know, and they're fair enough. You get a new coach. You want to surround yourself with people you know and like trust. Like what Neil did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the incumbent coach was Paul Roos. Yeah. And he did that. How do you um, go, though, in those six months? Do you say six months? Yeah, knowing, it was about six months. So yeah. how do you go to work each day knowing, like... Um, oh, it, I think pride carries you through. Like, yeah. I, you know, you don't want... It's like any. You never want people... You know, speak, speak ill of you. Yeah, and I always felt like I had good relationship with the players. I just want to keep doing the right thing by them. Yeah, and I think you're so you're actually so busy anyway. You don't really have time to drop the ball. Yeah, because you're flying. You know, in a development coach's role, you're flying to Brisbane for the senior game. You know, the next day you're on a flight either that or you're on a flight that night or the very first thing the next day, and you're out to Casey or Frankston to watch a VFL game. Yeah, and then you're yeah. cutting vision for the next you know forty eight hours. Like it was just constant. Yeah, it's not as it's not glamorous. It's not a glamorous role that people would, you know, people go, oh, I'd love to be involved. Like, it's hardcore. Yeah. And, you know, the, the good days are amazing when, you know, people at work on a Tuesday and you're out kicking footies in the middle of the day and it's sunshine, it's beautiful. And, yeah. you know, you're pinching yourself. Yeah. But you ain't pinching yourself when it's pissing rain in, yeah, in, in yeah. Brisbane on you waiting <laughs> for a or flight to get gold. home. Yeah, out of bed. Oh, I hated yeah. that trip. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you take the good with the bad. But, I mean, I learned you're working in, in an elite environment with elite, you know, Neil Craig's an elite person in his field. You're just learning. And you probably learn more when your team's going yeah. horrendous than when you're winning every week. And so I took, if you're losing, you go, how are we going to motivate the boys this week? How do we get the most out of player X who's 
got five games under his yeah. belt. You know, like it's always a challenge. So it was, I was learnt more in a crappy team than maybe I would have in a successful yeah. team. I don't know. I want to ask about. Before you ask the next question, you better get me another beer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, mate. <laughs> Jeez, you neck that, buddy. I've been sitting on that. Mine's oh, but got mine. We're asking the questions. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask Tats about, as we sort of go on with our journey, what we're doing, we, we now understand sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And how important relationships are in building connections with people. Yeah. And how much do you value that through your life in footy? Because you've basically almost every job you've said you've had, yeah. you've mentioned somebody else. Yeah. That's helped you or yeah. guided you through or has given you an opportunity. So, how important is it in just in everyday life to to build better relationships with people? Like you said, like not to burn a bridge. You got six months left. Yeah, you still go in, maintain your reputation. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, want- good question. Look, I, I mean, each to their own, right? But I mean, for me, relationships are king, and yeah. communication is king, and and that's what I've like. I don't know if it's just been the way it is, but that's that's my almost my mantra. You know, like yeah. and. You know, and I think if your pride, if your pride kicks in, for me, like if I think back to even the early days at Werribee, like let's say, if, well, I was probably 22, 23 years of age. You know, when that next batch of kids come, you know, those next batch of yeah. nineteen-year-olds come in. We used to have this Big Brother program where the senior players, um, and I was twenty-three, so I'm a senior player. You know, they get buddied up with a nineteen-year-old kid that's coming through, showing the way. And as an example, like for me. That kid coming through, you know, like some for some blokes, ah, oh, yeah, we'll catch up every now and then. For yeah. me, it was like I'm going to help you with your diet. I'm going to help you with how you prepare for games, how you post match review of your yeah. own game. You not do anything half assed, yeah, because I was so passionate and full on about it. Mm. Anyway, with the, a player that I took on board was a, a kid called Chris Gillum. Okay. And I took on Chris Gillum, invested in him heavily. Great man. He's coaching to you know this now coaches in the in the Western Region Footy League to this day, yep. and, and actually was my reserves coach at Werribee. Okay, um, many years later, and a quality coach and person. But at the time when he came in, you know, he loved his mackers and yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, as all young blokes do. But the story with him is unbeknownst. So I'm I'm helping him out and I'm mentoring him and I'm investing in him, right? Yep. And then about six months later, I, I mentioned earlier, I worked at Don Smallgoods. Yeah. Well, I applied for this sales rep job at Don Smallgoods and I applied for it. I get a phone call and this fellow says, oh, hi, my name's Jeff Gillum. Nothing, I didn't yeah. tweak. And he said, um, I'm just calling. You've got a job interview tomorrow for the job. I'm just calling to let you know you've got the job. Oh. And he said, I'm Chris's dad. Before you'd even... Before I'd even went for it. He said, I'm, wow. Chris, I'm Chris's dad. I know exactly how you operate because how you've looked after my son. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't plan it's a great that. Story, and yeah. what's the what's the chances that his dad was going to be working at Don Small, <laughs> where, where I'd applied for my first sales rep job? But just goes to show yeah. you, know, like if you do the right, sometimes if you do the right thing, it's like you know, obviously, you know, my time with Mark Neal at Western Jets, you know, yeah. I gave oh. it everything to be a good assistant coach to him, and then it, God, he gets a senior AFL job many yeah. years later, and you get the gig with him. Yeah. So I, I think. Valuing, relate, valuing just what you do. Why do anything half-assed? Is probably yeah. what the way I'd answer that. And yeah. and you know, and, and things always come around. And if yeah. you do the right thing by people, I think invariably it comes back, and you know somehow you'll benefit out of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Would you be open to maybe sharing a bit more about, I guess, the last few years about your health and what that story and what's kind yeah. of unfolded there? Yeah. I don't know like a heap about it because obviously you two are 
a family. But Dee's told me a bit about it, and we spoke just briefly before. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I think that'll help a lot of listeners. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, um, if, if you're ready to go to that, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, we're nearly five years in. So it was 2017. 20, so end of 2016. We, my family and I, we had a, a trip to Disneyland. And while, while I'm in Disneyland with my family. I kept getting this pain on the side of my face. Like it was pretty, just aching, aching, aching. It's like, oh. Anyways, and it looked like a pimple on the side of my face. And you can tell I don't get pimples, you know. <laughs> 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 no blemishes. Uh, I'm joking. Um, I love the <laughs> It's in our genes, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. sure you did. So, anyway, so I had this pimple. Well, what I thought was a pimple, but. This thing was just a bit angry and it was just sore and it would keep me up at night. And I'm, you know, I'm having a time of my life with my kids in Disneyland, you can imagine, right? Yeah. And like, you know, when the doctor says, give what's it out of 10, the pain. Well, it was about a 7 out of 10, 24-7, right? While I'm in, in the States. So I just said, oh, when we get back, I'll, I'll need to get this thing test, checked out. So as soon as I got back to Melbourne, went to my GP and he said, oh, you've got shingles. Like it's shingles. So I was getting treated for shingles for two weeks. And I wasn't responding to because I didn't have shingles, yeah. right? But I'm taking and this thing then then it's become like an eight and a nine, another two weeks on. And my head and it was right on my temple, so I was just throbbing and throbbing. And then I so I went to another GP. Oh, this is crazy. I went to another GP and he said, Oh, you got an ingrown hair. Mm. <laughs> oh my god. Mate, this is bullshit. <laughs> so I go so then I thought, well, I'm gonna look, I always liked my GP who originally said I had shingles. So I went yeah. back and mate, this isn't I've gone somewhere yeah. else. I was straight up. I've gone somewhere else. So he, it's not what he said and it's not what you've said. So he sent me to a dermatologist. Yep. And at the dermatologist is the the professor there was the head of skin cancer, the Alfred. Yep. So I got to a good guy. Yeah. Anyway, and by this stage, mate, it's it's aching more and more so. So he cuts it for a biopsy. And when he cut it, the stuff that came... You oh. know you see those horrible videos? Yeah, yeah. I love those videos. I love them too. Like, <laughs> you, you, you have to watch, you yeah. know. But it was like... I couldn't see what was going on, but he's just saying like this... It went for 10 minutes, right? Really? Stuff, junk, yeah. horrible. Can't imagine what's coming out. But the way he's reacting wasn't oh. great. <laughs> um and so he said, he said, look, this isn't skin. You've got no cancer or anything. You've got some sort of bacteria or infection or something, yeah. right? So I left that day mm. thinking that, okay, I've got no cancer, but it's something that's a bit yuck and yep. I'll need to go on antibiotics, right? So we're aligned. Once he cut it and once that general or anesthetic or whatever he put in died off, the pain went from an 8 out of 10 to about a 12, like like excruciating pain, and anyway, the, it was only it was about two days later. I'm dealing with this thing, and it's like it's ridiculous. And he called me back in. He goes, "Listen, you don't have a bacterial infection. You've got a rare skin cancer, a BCC, a SCC. Sorry, the BCC is the most common one. I had a SCC, but a rare version of the of a squamous cancer cell version of it. And it was a never seen it before. He said, "Mate, we're gonna have to get this thing cut out." So I got sent off to see a surgeon. The surgeon said, I can't get you for two weeks. Fucking far out. And I'm not, I was pretty emotional. I go, mate, look, I think I'm reasonably resilient, but I, like, I, I, can't, I actually can't even. The pain, yeah. The pain is just so bad. I can't, please see me. Just fit me in somewhere. So fit me in. He got me in within a day, cut me open, took out everything, whatever. Well, I thought he did. He took it all out. And then two days later, he rang me and said, look, this thing is spread. Like, we're really worried. Like, it's got, it's spread. And so they weren't sure. So I had my lymph nodes removed, had half my face cut out. And it was, so it was pretty nasty. But he said, I need to go again. 
So I had to go back in for a second round. So he did the same thing, went harder. So the scar was a bit longer, you know, took everything out. And so that was okay. The operational stuff, that fixed the pain and everything. That was all fine. But it was what came after. They said that I had had because it, it was so rare, they wanted me to get, have chemo. But then when I had the discussions with the appropriate mm. people, like they had nothing to show that chemo would help it. Yeah. But what they were all aligned on was that radiation would be the best option. So I was all set for radiation. Yeah. And, you know, it's always, everything goes from bad to worse. So I was told I had to have 30 sessions of radiation. But the night before the first session, the radiographer, is that what they're called? Yeah. I don't even know what they're called. But the lady ran me and said, we're going to have to give you the hardest dosage of radiation we can possibly give. So I didn't really know what that meant, but I was like, mate, well, whatever, just yeah. kill the thing off. Like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't, and I probably didn't know that I was going to have my half my face burnt off. I was going to lose my taste for 18 months. You know, I've lost my hair, you know, lost my hair for, for good. Just on the side there. Um, I must say the beard looks nice. Though. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. In all honesty, it looks good. Yeah, it's stuck on. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> so, I, so it was the thirty sessions of radiation which really knocked me around. Right? Yeah. That was hardcore, and it was probably halfway through. So, radiation has an accumulative effect. So, it, it's it's worse and worse after every one, and it's actually worse when you finish the thirty. The two or three weeks after. When you're absolutely at your worst, but what it did was that you know it's well I'm nearly five years now. Once you get to five years, you're done with it. So it's done its job and it's cleared me of the thing that was in there. Can I ask? Yeah. Where did it spread to? So it just it was well it was starting to. They worried that it, it once it gets so in. So it didn't get into any. No, I didn't get in. No, or, no, but they worried if once it gets great. in your lymph nodes. Yeah. That's why they took my lymph yeah. nodes out. So, but once it gets in anywhere yeah. around there, in your you're, you're cooked. Yeah. And so so I dodged so the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know and like that was pretty tough because my wife and I were sitting there and they're like this thing spread and we and so that it was that second conversation. The I uncertainty thought, of it just uncertainty. Yeah. Did but you it, fear for your life at all? I thought at the time after that conversation that the way they were talking, they were gearing me up for like, you're in a world of hurt here, mate. Far out. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking the worst because I, because of the way he was saying that if this thing is spread and it's gotten in where it shouldn't yeah. go, then you're, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So yeah, that at that point in time, yeah, yeah, I probably thought I was, I was a, Goner, and you always think the worst. Yeah, how did you go through that? Um, Especially with a young family. Oh, it's pretty emotional time. My goodness, yeah. And I was working. I was still working day in day out, and and my kid. What's this? Five years ago. Yeah. So you know, a couple of young girls, two young boys. Like you know, as you know. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) They were unbelievable. Like I had about six months off work, and my colleagues covered all of my sick leave like I used all my sick leave for the operation yeah. and then all, and then I had all this other time off with the rate with the radiation impact it was it was just tough but I had amazing support like I had work support family support as you, you know yeah. and I had my footy club yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Mm. so all all of the key sort of areas in my life I was getting this support that helped me get through it yeah yeah it's amazing Wow. Can you share the D last story? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this one. And this just shows because you know, not all listeners are, are sports fans or footy fans, but we've got people in our family that don't follow sport at all, and yeah. you try and explain what footy means to you, yeah. and they don't understand. They don't understand the concept of community and getting around each other. And, and I just think this is such a powerful story. Yeah, 
Well, it was I was going into my, this was when I came down with this thing. It was my I was going into my fifth year and what became my last year at De La Salle. Yep. So it was my fifth year. So strangely, well, not strangely, at the time. So I'm going through this this pain. We're just about to, we're in the early stages of the summer preseason. So it was yep. around February, March. I'd, I'd turn up to train and half my face is hanging off. Like it was pretty gruesome. But I always kept going to training because I wanted to be around the club. Yeah. And there, look, there was. I, I, there was a day where I t- went to training and I didn't even know how, like, how I'd got there. Like I was so smashed on painkillers and, but I just needed to be at the footy club. I just wanted to be around these young blokes who kept me, yeah, you know, kept me going. And um, so I would literally sleep all day, get this energy to go to, <laughs> go to radiation because I was going every day. Yeah, I'd get through that and then go home, sleep, and then I'd be right. I'm going to go to footy training now. And so I drive down. I wasn't doing anything. I was just there. Yeah, just yeah. probably been a nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> but as, when you're the coach, though, you don't you don't want to let anyone down. Eh? You yeah. feel so obligated to to be there. So I was going through that, and so they saw me. But none of I didn't tell the players I, that I had radiation. I didn't tell them anything. The role that they were playing throughout all of this was that they were just there, and they were just getting me out of bed. Yeah, because I just needed to be around them and. And I had, and it gave me something to look forward it's a to. Bit of drive, yeah, bit just, of purpose. Yeah, a bit of purpose, and it just got me out of bed, and it was just so it was just something that was there. So I, I went through the operation, I went through the thirty sessions of radiation, and by that stage, it's probably April or May, and it was at that point where we all, because I would have like it was probably round one, round one or two or something, maybe a little bit more advanced in the in the year, but we would all come together. I always did my reviews in a room. All the players are in there, and I finished my thirtieth and final radiation session that day. And with all the players, it was like a Tuesday or a Thursday night. And I'm addressing the troops, and I said, "Boys, I just got something to share with you, and I just want to let you know that I've just got through thirty sessions of radiation treatment, and I'm cooked, yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, because I'd wear this, I'd have like this plastic thing on my face. I look, it was horrendous because my skin would just like drip off. It was yeah. just falling off my face." So you guys know that I haven't been great, but they didn't know I was getting. Not one of them knew, and I didn't tell them. Yeah. I didn't want them worrying about me. Yeah, and that's a silly thing because they actually would have been able to deal with me telling. Them. Well, that's what I learned yeah. later. Yeah. But at the time, I thought it's too it's too much to tell them. The 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 night that I shared with them that I'd had thirty sessions and I'd finished. Like I think they were initially really shell shocked that I'd just gone through that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. telling your player, and I was tight with my like. I love my players. Wherever I go, I bloody fall in love with these blokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's which I don't know if that's a great thing as a coach, but it, it's like I genuinely it's good for being a human, though. You know. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just love being around. I love what footy clubs stand for, and this is what you know, like my take. So I told them, and then you know, like, and Tom Humphrey is the captain of the club, who's a, like the toughest bloke you'll ever imagine. Got up. And come over and hug me, you know, which was pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then what flowed from there is just every player in the room, one at a time, hugged it out with me. Wow. And it was pretty like it was just such a powerful body wow. moment. And it and it and it just you know, and I, I just thank them for you know for getting me out of bed and for giving me a purpose and for just supporting me, even though they didn't even know they were supporting me, but they were. It was a a time that. It, you know, I look back on fondly with that bunch of players that yeah. the role that they played in keeping me up and about. And and you know, the other thing, whilst I'm going through my cancer, my best mate got hit by that car in Burke Street. So he, you know, he'd had a bloody rod put in his leg 
And that happened almost around the identical, almost to the day that when I was in the States when I got called that he'd been hit by the car, I was back in Melbourne a week later yeah. and he's in hospital still in La La Land with yeah. a rod in his leg. In fact, he only recently had a, a knee reco, which is still, he's got to get both done, which is still a result of being hit by it. So there was a lot going on in my life yeah. at that time. But I keep coming back to my experience, and I, you know, I think it's the footy club, but it was also, my, you know, I think it's pretty unique to work somewhere where your colleagues actually dig in and give their sick leave to you. That's amazing. And it came about, you know, our, now our CEO, she recognised... You know, and this is where you learn empathy, right? And this is why I coach very differently to how I use. I've got so much more empathy for people. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, sometimes you need empathy from others before you actually learn what the hell it is, right? Yeah. You know, and I went, uh, no, I was struggling, and and it, you know, it's like you know, we talk about just ask someone how they're going, right? Yeah. As it meant, you know, just to, just to check in on yeah, your mates, yeah. and that's a, that's something that we as blokes should be doing all the time. Yeah. She asked me, "How are you going?" She just said, how are you tr- dealing with this bloody treatment and radiation? And I, I got quite emotional when she asked, right? Yeah. And I think, then I think she realised he's not going great. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I just needed someone to bloody ask how I was going. You're probably holding it in. Oh, oh, yeah. oh absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, and subsequently I was holding a lot in because I thought I was going to die. I thought, you know, I'm trying to – I've got four kids. I'm working. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be everything to everyone. But I was sick. Like I seriously needed just to – do nothing like get myself right and so you know it was through through her support she's like this saint yeah. you know i hope everyone has a saint in their lives because that's that's how i you know view her and yeah. she's she's now the you know, ceo of the company like wow. no surprise no. there at all what's well, in giving you received don't you so yeah yeah and 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 look we've had some other people who've had some sickness at work too and we've been able to help them you know it's almost started kick-started that yeah you pay, you pay forward, forward. Yeah, you pay forward. And I yeah. think, you know, I've been able to give back some leave to someone else who's been sick at work. So it was at the time, it was quite a uni- unique situation yeah. where someone would even think of doing that. Yeah, of course. You know, and it was just because... I don't I mean, think that happens in a lot of workplaces. Nah, and because and I think all we do is bloody whinge about work and, you know, don't yeah. we? Yeah. You know, it's just by yeah. nature, a bloody job, you know, and people this and that, this. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the opposite. Like, I, I can't speak more highly of who I work with and Peter's and... Selling ice cream. It's nice to hear. <laughs> it's nice to hear. Like, yeah. It really is because yeah. exactly what you just said, we just hear about how it can be improved or how it could be better. Mm. But it's just, yeah, it's a, just a great story to hear. Yeah. Think, yeah, it's awesome. Do you know, like, can you think back to when you were younger, spending a lot of time in the sun or what, what can yeah. you kind of, now that you've had this experience and thank God that you're, yeah. you're through it, do you look back and go, was there a certain moment where yeah. oh, I did this too much or I didn't wear a hat or like... Yeah, 100%. So so they say that it's the majority of the sun damage is done as a kid. Wow. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s when you'd bask in the sun and a bit of oil. <laughs> Not sunscreen, <laughs> oil. Yeah. yeah. You know, Daniel's dad was a bodybuilder. So yeah, he had all the oil. You know, yeah. yeah. He used yeah. to hook him up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, actually, you know what my old man said was that um, as you were quite young, probably... Yeah maybe six, seven, eight years old and dad was out here and he was trying to pick up the chicks on the beach. So he just wanted to be seen with you, like, yes. you know, looking after well, you. Well, my job was to point to the girls who were staring at your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I took that job very seriously. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he used to say that you used to play a lot of beach cricket and he said he'd be batting all day. He'd just be taking the piss and you'd be, but he said he, Paul was so determined. He'd be charging up and he'd be red in the face and he'd be bowling as hard as he can, just 
block back, just pick up the ball, yeah. walk oh, back to us. Back. Yeah. As I, and I was an asthmatic, I'd be falling <laughs> yeah, back in. And they're laughing that, you know, oh, my senior. But, mate, I, I know, and this is the key takeout for me in everything I experienced with regards to the cancer. I take full ownership because it was all sun related. And whilst you can't change what you did as a kid, especially in those days, we weren't as educated. But even in my latter years, like I, you know, it's go to Noosa every year and smash the sun and think, you know, how amazing to have a tan. Yeah. But that contributed to my downfall too. You know, like it just all compounded. Mm. And so, you know, the biggest takeout for me and what I, any chance I get like now to talk, you know, with a microphone in front of me is, is to say to any young bloke, like you're kidding yourself if you think it's smart to go and abuse the sun. Because we're all, we're actually all covered in all different sorts of things underneath the surface. And, yeah. And that sun will bring it out. Yeah, and even if you've got beautiful golden coloured skin, you only need one little sucker, which is what I got to get yeah. through, mm. and it can absolutely turn your life upside down. So, so I'm not a, no longer a dickhead, uh, you know. Yeah. Like in all seriousness, like I really respect the sun. My poor kids, um, they get smashed and drowned in sunscreen. <laughs> I yeah, don't want yeah. them going through what Good. I went through. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think it's it's just really important that. You know, the key message is, buddy, be smart, be sun smart. Yeah. And what, what about getting checked? Because, like, you hear about those where you go, I, I don't even know what the right terminology is, but when you go and you get, like, your scan on your body, yeah. then this is potentially dangerous and this one's fine and you get them cut out early. Is that correct? Like the, the I, yeah. I get, I, I mean, for some reason, I get, get quite a few, but I, I, um, and it's not even if I'm not even in the sun. So, yeah. so they've, they've been, they've been just been developed for years, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I now can almost, like, if you had a, anything that was amiss with any, I, I, you need to get that checked. You yeah. know, like, I'm yeah. like that with people, anyone. Yeah. I'll say, like, well, you've got something on your lip. You need to get that looked yeah. at. Mm-hmm. So anything that doesn't look right, you should get it checked. Yeah. And so that, yeah, absolutely. So I, I still go, I have to go every three months still. Yep. So I just get a, a check just to make sure everything's fine. You know, I've, I've noticed since I've stopped being silly with the sun, like, I just get spots all the time yeah. a lot now you know i might get the odd one that comes up but i just get it taken off straight away so just, yeah just gonna be really smart it's funny because as when we were kids i remember there was heaps of ads on tv about cancerous moles and all mm. this and it just seems to have died off like i don't hear about it well, i don't know it's a silly thing a kid, called but... um the covid that's coming oh, <laughs> oh well, that's, a, that's a very good point that's a very good i reckon point. all our attention has gone to this silly pandemic not I, silly but yeah oh. I want to, so like just share, but I lost my old man to cancer oh. about five years ago and wasn't skin cancer. Yeah. But knowing, like I've seen, I've seen it and I've felt like what death is and I know yeah. what it is and like to know that, like I just remember my old man going through radiotherapy yep. and he only got to go for a few sessions. Like it was, it yeah. was done. We yeah, had right. Nothing. It was yeah. everywhere. It was spread. Yeah. But it was the most painful experience I've ever witnessed him in. Like, and he was in so much pain, like going to radio yeah. therapy. And it was probably more the actual moving him to the table because he was so yeah. crook. But just listen to you say that, 30 days if it's straight, you know, like. Yeah. Um, oh, well, look, and firstly, sorry to buddy. Oh, that. thank you. But I'm, just, I'm trying to relate in a way, well, you know. Well, yeah. I, I got to a point, even 20 sessions in, and I still wasn't at the worst, right? Because the worst is two weeks after you finish your 30. About 20 days or 20 sessions in, so it got to because I was just knackered and tired. Liz would drive me in to all the sessions by that point. My wife, where, where was it? Was it far from home? Richmond, it was in Epworth, okay. so not far. It was yeah. a 20 minute commute. Yeah. I would be pleading 
with I was trying to negotiate with Liz, like you know, surely twenty fives and what if I just get to twenty five? You know, ple- you know, can we just make a deal that that's done? And like clearly she wasn't going to let me bail out at twenty five. You had to get your thirty done. But I was just so crook, could hardly stand the shower. Footy, yeah, back to the footy thing. I, I coached one game. And I didn't know if I was Arthur or Martha. Like, honestly, mm. I actually, our president, Brian Waldron, at the time, who was amazing in support of me, and he knew everything that I was going through. Yeah. And he, so I rang him, you know, game starts at 2 o'clock. I rang him one game. You know, normally I'm there at, like, midday or watching the resis yeah. every week. And I rang him at around, it was about quarter to one, or I think Liz, I didn't even ring him, Liz rang him and said, look, he can't even get out of bed. He's that cool. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm getting there, right? And so Liz went into the chemist and got me, just got me something that just got away because I was feeling nauseous and she, whatever I took, fixed it. It was just the nausea that was making me feel yeah. crap. So got me something. So I went to the game and I should never have coached. Like I really, I was just, I was out with the fairies. I was, you know, on whatever medication I was on. I was cooked from radiation. But I remember it still gave me, it gave me something. Yeah. You know, it played, the footy club played the role of getting yeah. me out and about. So on that quickly yeah how important is it for us to have some form of community or like because not everyone's into sport yeah like i miss footy more than anything like but i can't play for shit anymore um but you know it's still how important is it to be involved in something like that for someone oh look i mean i've got four kids all different levels of talent and ability and coordination and everything else and, and you know a good example is my eldest daughter she's nearly 19 and and look you know, sports never been at the forefront of what she's done. You know, like it's, but she she got involved in a rowing program where she was the cox, and and you know, from someone who wasn't really sporty as such, got involved in a program where it was team orientated, discipline. You know, having to go somewhere, like minded people thinking we're on this. You know, and just bringing everyone together. You know, she came out of that program like so much more confident came yeah. out of the program knowing what a discipline how to talk differently to people how to deal with people going you know it doesn't matter whether you, you haven't got a, a sporting skill. bone in or skill in your body but there's still always there's always something whether you want to play chess or whatever it is but yeah. just getting out and about and engaging with other people in something is better than doing nothing yeah you know COVID um, really showed us that oh yeah 100 percent. And, and look the, you know any sporting commitment teaches discipline you know and discipline can be applied to work and all sorts of different levels right because you've got to be here at this time and you've got to commit to this and you've got to and so all of a sudden you've got to play you know you do the right thing by the team and don't go off and do the you know your own thing so you've always been constantly drilled on what it's like to be a team player and so, so you know i've my experience always suggests that footy players complemented with a personality and can put a sentence together generally is a good fit for you know sales role you know like but yeah, but but because yeah. they're going to give you everything with the commitment 100 percent. they're going to be able to talk to people and they understand how to communicate in a bigger wider world and then they can put a you know the half articulate that you know, generally it's a good mix for for get, there's always something out there for someone who's been in a sporting environment that's yep. what i think yeah um so yeah well i know we're running out of time so i just want to ask I can't believe we've gone for an hour i know we've gone for an hour <laughs> what if there's so much more i would love to dive into and talk about ava summer tom and jack but, <laughs> and of course auntie liz got to shout her out as well but final question for me mm. what makes a good coach in all your years in football yeah coaching playing what makes you a good coach? Do you think? 
Jeez, you didn't even give, it's me, an the, open, you didn't open give me the heads up. You know, <laughs> any of this stuff. It's not how we roll anymore, is it, Dyson? No, no, no. <laughs> Look, I, I think... Um, I mean, what what well, what do I like? What yeah, did what, I like in my coaches is, is what I've tried to sort of impart on my players. And what I loved about my... And I mentioned Terry Wallace earlier is, you know, and I always used to say it was like he had a crystal ball, you know, because he, he'd always say to me, look, Sats, if you don't do X, Y, Z, this is a consequence. But if you do A, B, C, this is what it means for you in a positive way. There was So there was always this direction. But that was just because he, he spoke to me. So the key for me was communication. It was commu- like a coach who communicates with his players and can build a relationship. So I think it's those two things coming together. Because if you're talking to your players, generally you're hopeful there's a relationship that comes yeah. from that. And for me, coaching is not just about teaching that player to kick better on his opposite foot. That's a nice to have. Yeah. For me, a good coach can coach footy, but can be invested in his players out in the world outside. You know, the more you know about the, your players, the better you will coach them. Yeah. So if I'm coaching you, mate, and you've just split up with your girlfriend, but, you know... And no, the, no, so, not let me go. Yeah. <laughs> Funny Jeez, joke. We just I, touched up. Uh, oh, no, no, this no, has no. just gone to shit. I'm this totally kidding. Totally, <laughs> yeah. totally, 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 totally. But if the coach knows that, right, and you're just a bit off and you're a bit down yeah. at training and you're not kicking it as well as you normally do, mm. it's because you and I have had a, a good chat and, I, and you've been you've trusted me enough to tell me something personal. Yeah. And then I can coach you better because, oh, shit, he's going through a tough time. Mate, have the Thursday night off. Mm. Like, go and spend time with your family or... You know, like if if I've got that understanding because yeah. I've got a great relationship, then I think as a good coach, then it, it helps pave the way for better understanding and and, and just better direction because you yeah. know what you're dealing with. If I if I've just got all these sad faces around me, I've got no idea what's going yeah. on. I don't know how to coach. I don't know how to yeah. manage them. But I so yeah, for me, it's communication and a bit of trust and all you know, probably three or four things blended in one makes a good coach. Yeah, that's it. just that's my opinion. Love it, love it. I think that's a pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Place. Now, I just want to acknowledge you. Thank you so much, oh, um, Sats, for, for for coming in and having a chat with us. Um, like I said, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You you have uh, you <laughs> have you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd love that. Um, no, you, you did genuinely did have a big impact on me growing that's up. Right. Um, I always did look up to you, as I, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. You've always been so great to us, and and everything Paul said today. I know members on the other side of like my mum's side the family they've always spoken so highly of you so just even relationships with them and communication with them it speaks true so so acknowledge you thank you and appreciate your time